Good morning and welcome. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here at Two Cities. And if you're new here, one of the things you need to know about us in this church is we are committed to mission. We are committed to taking the gospel to the lost locally, nationally, and globally. And one of the ways that we do that is through short-term trips like the one you just saw. And here's our challenge to everyone who calls Two Cities Church home. We want you to prayerfully consider where God might be calling you to go on a short-term mission trips like these over the next three years. We want you to commit to praying thoughtfully about that. And here's something I wanna celebrate together as a church. Just this year, in 2023, we have already sent 64 people on trips like these this year. Isn't that awesome? Man, our hope is that we can continue to do more and more of those together because we know how God uses those for his eternal purposes and we want you to be a part of that. And so let's pray and then we're gonna dive into the last chapter of the book of Joshua, Joshua 24, as we wrap up that series together here today. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we are honored that you call us to be a part of the mission that you're doing, not just here in Winston-Salem, but around the world. God, thank you for the people who have already put their yes on the table and for those of us who who need to consider what that might be for us. God, will we take that seriously and listen where you might be calling us to go. God, as we dive into your word today, we pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive whatever it is that you have for each of us here today. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. I wanna ask you a question. Have you ever thought about your own funeral? Have you ever thought about what the end of your life is going to be like? I just did a funeral for uh, a family a couple of months ago, and it's really had me thinking about these types of things. Actually, just had a spiritual retreat a couple of weeks ago that I really pressed in on that and considered what that would be like and what, at the end of my days, I wanted to be able to say and maybe consider what things were most important to me. And here's two things that I walked away with is at the end of my life, I want to be able to say that I have kept my faith, that I finished well. I don't know about you, but we live in a world today where it seems like it is making it harder and harder for us to keep our faith, where we are constantly being pushed to drift away from it, and people are not finishing well. One of my favorite bands growing up was a band called Cademan's Call. I love their music. They had this incredible way of just taking good biblical gospel truths and putting it into the song. And so you can understand how upset I was a handful of years ago when the lead guy, Derek Webb, divorced his wife and completely walked away from the faith. It breaks my heart every time I hear one of their songs. And many of you can feel the same way as you're scrolling through social media and you see friends that you knew, maybe from church growing up or whatever, that had been following the Lord but are no longer walking with him anymore. It's heartbreaking to think about. And it makes sense why John Piper, a famous pastor, he says he prays for two things every day. The first is, God, help me stay married. And the second thing is, God, please help me stay a Christian. Because we need help. We are gonna keep our faith, right? And the second thing is this, I wanna keep my faith, but I also wanna pass on my faith. I don't know about you, but I have got so many people in my life who are far from God, but close to me, that I desperately want to see them taste and see that Jesus Christ is good. At the top of my list is my four girls. My hope and prayer for them every day is that they would love and follow Jesus Christ every single day of their life. I wanna pass on my faith to them. And here's we come to the end of Joshua. As we come to the end of the book, we're also coming to his end of his ministry. 
And the two things that are on his mind is, how can I keep my faith to the end? And how can I pass it on? Because we're about to see Joshua is coming to die. He's saying, I want to finish well. And I want my family to follow after me. I want the people that God has given me influence and leadership over to follow me to the very end. And that's what this text is about today. How do we keep our faith? How do we pass on our faith? As we dive in, I think you're gonna see three ways that we, if we do these things, the Lord will bless us and we will see those things in our lives. And so look with me here at verse one. You're gonna see the first thing that we need to know is that we need to remember and share our story. We need to remember and share our story. Verse one says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and some of the elders and the heads and the judges and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God and Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. And then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac and to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. And then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt and you lived in the wilderness a long time. And he goes on to recount more of their story. Skip down with me to verse 13. It says, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. And so Joshua has given us an example of what it looks like for us to remember and tell our story. And why is that important? Why did he gather all the people of Israel and tell them a story that they probably already knew. Well, I think there's three important reasons why we need to remember and share our story. The first is this, is our forgetting leads to failure. When we forget our story, what often happens is it leads to failure. And I wish we could, as we finish up the book of Joshua today, we go right into the book of Judges, because what you're gonna see is two completely different stories. Joshua is a book about victory and triumph. It inspires us, because when we get to the end of it, we see Joshua does keep his faith. We see the people that he's leaving behind. They embrace the faith themselves. But when you jump over into Judges, it's a completely different story. It's a book about defeat. It's embarrassing because generation after generations of God's people have walked away from him. And God is having to give them over to their sin and to their enemies. And he's having to go in and save them. And as you look at the commentaries, they all agree that there's something behind it. Just like Simba in The Lion King, they forgot who they were. They forgot where they came from. In other words, they forgot their story. And this is how faith dies. Generation one receives the faith. Generation two forgets it. Generation three forsakes it. And that's why it's so important for us as God's people, if we want to keep our faith and pass on the faith, we have to remind people those who come after us of the story about God's faithfulness to us and to them, lest we forget it and ever forsake it. Because when we forget, we fail. Here's the second reason why we remember and share our story. 
It's our stories help us and others learn from our sins and mistakes. They help us to learn from our sin and mistakes. You see, there's two things that a story does, is it can give us a vision for what can be. And it's like, man, we want that to happen in our lives. But it also serves as a counter vision. When we tell about those, those parts of the story that are not so beautiful, it's like, man, we don't want to go down that road. And the Bible's filled with so many of these, right? All these people who have fallen and failed because of their sin or different mistakes. And we can look at that and say, man, I don't wanna go down that road. But Joshua is showing us we need to be able to do the same thing in our own stories. And so as you learn to remember and share your story, what you're gonna have to do is incorporate the things that are not so great about yourself in it too. And Joshua gives us an example of this. There's a lot of different ways that he does this in the story, but let me just point out one. In verse seven, he says this, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. What you need to know about Joshua, he's very kind and polite, okay? Because here's another way that he could have said it. He said, you knuckleheads took what should have been a two-week walk through the desert and turned it into a 40-year involuntary camping trip, right? Sounds like some of your vacations, right? But he's like, man, you, you guys messed up so bad. But what he's saying is, listen, we don't just brush over those things. We need to own it because it's only in owning those things that we can actually learn and grow from them. Living through something is not enough. We have to be able to reflect on it, to be able to process that and say, here's what I would do differently. And so we need to be able to share that in our stories because part of being a mature and healthy believer is being able to talk about your sins and mistakes. Here's what that can look like for you. Parents, be willing to talk about your sins and mistakes with your kids. Because listen, I know it's hard. I know we, everything in us like wants to be like, man, I didn't struggle with any of these things. I wanna be, I wanna look like I'm above that. You would rather share that embarrassing picture of you with your perm or your frosted tips than like actually have to talk to your kids about your sins and your past, right? But here's the truth. Your kids not only learn from the good things that they see in you, mom and dad, they can also learn from the ways that you have learned from your sins and mistakes. And so what that can be is when your kid comes to you with, with something that they're struggling with, I'm willing to bet you probably walk through that too. What would it look like if you were able to own that and say, listen, I know, I've been there. Here's all the ways that I struggled with that too. Here's the mistakes I made when I was walking through that stuff, but here's the way that God has used that and the way that he's grown me too. It goes a long way in helping the people that come after us learn how to deal with those things in their own lives as well. And here's the third reason why we need to remember and share our stories is because they give us and others hope. Our stories remind us of the hope that we sometimes need. And there's a lot of examples of this in this passage too, but I wanna just zero in on one. And it's right here in verse one. It says this, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. You may wanna underline Shechem because that's very important. One of the first places that you see this place pop up is back in Genesis 12. The first time you see it is when God calls Abraham to leave and to follow him. And right after this, you see in verse, or verse five of Genesis 12, it'll be on the screen behind me, says this, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, 
to your offspring, I will give this land. And so he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. You see, in Genesis 12, Shechem was the place of the promise. It's where God brought Abraham and said, this land is going to be your own one day. It's not now, but it will be. Shechem is the place that Abram listened and put his faith in God, that he was going to do everything that he said he was going to do. Now here at the end of Joshua, hundreds of years later, Joshua is bringing his people back to this place because the place that was once the promise is now is the place of the proof. God brought the promise about to fruition. It's realized now. And I don't know about you, but things like that give me hope because that same promise that God fulfilled hundreds of years later, not just for one man, but for an entire nation, is the same God that is fulfilling promises that he's made to us today. And part of what reminds us of those, when we get in places when we can't see that anymore, or we have a hard time believing it, is other people who are experiencing that in their life, being able to share their story and say, listen, you can't see it right now, but here's what God has done for me. And it brings us hope. That's why for some of us, we need to be able to do the same thing to bring hope to other people that need to hear that God is the one who keeps his promises. And we remind them of that with our story. And so one of the most helpful things that you can do today, hear this, do the hard work so that you can share your story of faith in clear and compelling ways for other people. Here's what it might look like. I was born in Sandwich, Illinois in 1987 to godly parents. At the age of eight, God came into my life and I became a Christian. As a senior in high school, God called me to full-time ministry as a pastor. And so I went to college and I learned a lot about church and ministry as I was preparing for that. But at the same time, I got into a relationship that I regretted and honestly wondered if God was even calling me to ministry anymore. But God worked through that and in spite of that, I moved to Louisville, Kentucky to seminary. I got plugged into a church where I learned a lot about ministry and church planting. All the while, I was struggling with singleness and depression. But then I moved to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where I married my best friend, Kelly. Shortly after that, we experienced the loss of our son. And then after that, we had four beautiful girls that we still have with us today. And God brought me to two cities after a period of waiting, and I get to be a pastor here at two cities. That's my story. But what I want you to hear is it's also God's story. Because where was God at in every single one of those steps? He was there through the highs and the lows. Joshua gets this as he's telling his story, because he actually tells their story through the lens of God. He says the Lord 21 times. He says, I brought Abraham, and I gave Abraham Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and over and over and over, he's showing us how God was in and through that. I could just as easily with my story say, Caleb, I saved you when you were eight years old. I was with you when you were walking through singleness and depression. I was there with you in the furnace of suffering as you experienced the loss of your son because our stories serve ultimately as a reminder of not who we are and what we have done, but what God has done in and through us. And so we share the story. We share the story because it brings us hope. Who do you need to share your story with? And here's what we also see. When we see that God is in and over all of our story, it calls a response. Because we see here, he finishes up their story in verse 13, but then in verse 14, he says this. Now, therefore, that means in light of everything that you see God doing here, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. 
When you see your story in light of God and all that he's done for us, how could we not serve him? He's been with us every step of the way and he's going to see us through the end. How could we not serve him? Because God's past faithfulness to us fuels our present faithfulness to God. That's what our story reminds us. And so if we want to keep our faith and pass on our faith, we need to remember and share our stories. Here's the second thing that we see that we are called to. If we want to keep our faith and pass on our faith is we need to repent boldly and commit boldly. Those two things go hand in hand. We need to repent boldly and commit boldly. Look with me again at verse 14. It says, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Joshua is making it clear to his people and by virtue us today that we are going to have to make a decision. Are you going to serve the Lord or are you not? Each of us needs to make that decision. And listen, it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just simply saying a prayer or walking down an aisle to make this decision. It's a decision that you and I have to make every single day. When we rise up out of bed, we are functionally having to decide who are we going to serve this day? And why is Joshua making this call here at the end of his life? Why does he feel impressed to, to really put this in front of people? Well, as he looked out over the crowd, just as I'm looking out over you guys today, he saw two types of people. The first type of person that he's seen and saying this to is someone who has never truly served God at all. Hear what he says. He says this in verse 14. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Here's the subtext, is some people never got rid of their false gods and were secretly worshiping them. They were living after false gods. Another name for that is idols. Idols are the things that we worship to make our life work. We're gonna get back to that soon. But he's talking to these people who by all appearances were the people of God, but they were not. And that's some of your story. By all appearances, most people would think that you are followers of Jesus Christ, that you are living your life for him because you know the right things to say, you do all the right church things, you may know every word to every Michael W. Smith song, all right? And so you look like you, but, but really, at the end of the day, you're just the same person you always were. You're not serving God, you're serving yourself or you're serving something else besides God. And so God is calling that type of person there in front of Joshua or here in our seats today who are you gonna serve? And here's the second type of person that he was talking to. There were people there that were genuinely trying to serve and follow God, but they were also doing that with other gods too. I think that's many of us today. I think many of us are genuinely trying with all of our hearts to love and serve God, but we're also inadvertently or intentionally following other gods and trying to make both of them work. But Joshua's saying, you can't do that. That is not possible. Jesus says it another way. He says it's impossible to serve two masters. And so you and I are going to have to decide today, are you going to be a follower of God or aren't you? Because you can't be both. You can't keep walking and trying to straddle that line. And so if we are genuinely, and I hope many of us are, I think we would say that we are, we're trying to follow and serve God. How do we do that? 
one of the first things that we're gonna have to do is we're gonna have to identify the idols that we're also worshiping. Because if we're going to truly identify as followers of Jesus, we have to first start by identifying those idols in our lives. And so how do we do that? Most of you probably don't have little statues hidden around your house or under your sleep number mattress that you're hiding away. And so it's like, okay, I can't figure it out off of that. And so let me do a couple things that is gonna help you hopefully identify what some of those things are in your life. Joshua shows us that there's two types of idols that we are particularly susceptible to, okay? The first is this, is the idols of our fathers. And you see this in verse 15. He says, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, all right, because some of our idols are secondhand. Idols have a sneaky tendency to be passed down from generation to generation. Here's what this means for parents in the room. You need to work very hard to figure out what these idols are in your life. You need to identify them because here's the truth. Whatever is not transformed will be transferred. When it comes to the idols in your life, parents, if you are not diligently seeking to transform those in your life, it will be transferred to your kids. And there's a lot of different idols that can get passed on from generation to generation. You know, just a few of them. Uh, For some of them, for some families, it's addiction. Whether that's alcohol or drugs or diet Mountain Dew, all right? One study showed that for kids that had an addicted parent, they were eight times more likely to follow in the footsteps of their parents. Eight times. It's generational. Another one is work. And that's a good example of something that is good, God made for good, that we turn into a God thing, right? Because parents don't know how to interact with it. They see work as the lens through, man, my highest priority is either financial or you know, professional achievement. And when kids see their parents operate that way, that's how they begin to interpret their own life. It happens very early. And that's something that gets passed down from generation to generation. How about this for moms? Sometimes it can be image. When you're constantly dieting or comparing yourself to the other people around you and wanting to look more like somebody else, do you know what your little girls see? I need to do the same thing. We wonder why our little girls are so anxious or insecure all the time because they're getting it from their moms. It's the idol that's being passed down. Guys, you need to hear, what is not being transformed will be transferred. And so we have to identify these idols, these gods of our fathers in our life. Joshua points out a second type of idol. It's the gods of our culture. Here at the end of this verse 15, he says, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Here's another hard truth. The church is called to evangelize the culture around us by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what often happens is the culture evangelizes the church with the gospel of their gods. And so many of us, man, we are being evangelized all the time with all of these different things. And we have to be able to see what these are. On the screen behind me, you're gonna see five questions that come from a guy, his name is David Pallison. He's a great counselor. But he wrote these to help us try to identify what are some of these idols for us. And so I wanna read these over to you and I want you just to take a moment to think about this. Maybe it'll help you identify what some of those are. First one is this, what do I worry about or daydream about the most? 
what do I often lead with in conversations or make sure people know about me early on? What if I've failed or lost it would cause me to feel that I did not even want to live? What do I run to in order to comfort myself when things go bad or get difficult? What prayer unanswered would make me seriously think about turning away from God? I don't know about you, but for many of us, this is cropping up all kinds of things, potential idols in our life. That could be control or safety. It could be sexuality or ideology of some kind. It could be some resource or relationship that the Lord is bringing to our mind. Maybe you're not thinking of anything. Maybe that means you've attained sinless perfection in this life. Congratulations. Or maybe that means you're, you're just simply blind to your idols. And so here's another helpful step you can take. If you don't know what your idols are, ask someone close to you what they think it is. Because what may not be apparent to us is probably very apparent to somebody else. And so if we ever want to hope to be able to genuinely serve the Lord and follow after him instead of other idols, we've got to do the hard work of identifying it. But you've got to be able to move beyond that. Most of us are content to stop there. You know, we might feel good or smug about ourselves. I'm just like, ah, I see it. But at the same time, nothing about our interactions ever changes with it. You never change your habits. You never let anybody speak into it. Or you constantly compare your idol to somebody else's to make yourself feel better. Well, at least it's not as bad as Todd's weird Pokemon addiction or Margot, whose whole entire universe revolves around her kids. Man, she's clearly got a bad idol, right? And that's where most of us stop. It's just simply identifying, but that's not what we're called to do. What we're called to do is to repent. Move beyond identification to repent of it, and we need to repent boldly. Here's what Joshua says about our idols. He says, put away the gods. In verse 14, put them away. Now, again, Joshua is a very polite, kind guy. Here's another way you could translate that Hebrew word. It means root it out. It means cut it off. It goes even further, behead it. Is that how we are thinking about our idols? Because that's how Joshua is. What are you doing to kill it in your life? Some of the ways that we need to do that, to root it out, to behead it, One of the things you need to do is plead with God over your idols. Some of us pray to God about our idols, but not many of us actually plead with God over our idols. Do you know why? It's because at the end of the day, we love them. We don't see them and feel about them the way that we should. And the only way that your heart is going to interact with that idol in the way that it needs to is through the help of God. And so you need to plead with God, God, help me to see these idols and the ugly, damaging ways that I need to see them. Help me by your power in my heart, put them to death. Plead with God over your idols. Another thing we need to do is confess them, not just to God, but to other people. And not just talk about them, actually confess them in all of its ugliness. In the way that it's affecting your life, confess it. 
That maybe needs to be your spouse or your community group, maybe a godly coworker or classmate that you do that with. But listen, you can't just do this as a one-time thing because our idols are like hydras. Every time we behead it, two more heads are gonna spring back up. And that means over time, over your life, you're gonna have to confess these idols over and over and over again and behead them over and over and over again because that's how we have to do it. We have to keep fighting against it. And so we fight and we repent by confessing. Another way that we repent of it boldly is by actually doing what Joshua says to cut it off from your life. For many of you, if at all possible, you're gonna have to find ways to actually cut it off. Maybe you're gonna have to get a dumb phone. Maybe you're actually gonna have to delete that account, not just deactivate it for a little while, but actually get off of it completely. For some of you, you're gonna need to end that relationship or maybe even find a different line of work because you can't handle it. But are you willing to do the hard work of repenting boldly in order to serve Christ? But then we also see we move beyond that even more. It's not just simply identifying it and repenting of it, but we're also committing to something else in its place. We see this here. A good understanding of repentance is not just turning away from something, but turning also to something. That's what Joshua says in verse 14, put away the gods of your fathers, and then what? And serve the Lord. We replace our idols with another one, one that is truly worthy of our worship, God alone. What that looks like is we serve him. The word word serve is used 16 times here in this chapter because at the heart of idolatry is selfishness, but at the heart of Christianity is selflessness. The questions that we ask our idols is, how can you serve me? But the question that we ask Christianity is, how can I use all these things to serve God and serve other people? And so we're replacing it with something new. And so how might the Lord be calling you to commit boldly to him? Let me ask you this. What would it look like for us as a church to stop making half-hearted commitments? And so much of our lives is these half-hearted commitments. What would it look like for us to actually commit boldly to do what we see here in Joshua 24? Here's some of the things that I think it's gonna look like. I think it's gonna mean us burning the ships, all right? Let me tell you what that means. Back in 1519, there was a guy named Cortez who with a bunch of people went to Mexico and everybody was afraid about what was gonna happen there. And so he said, I need to do something because these guys are gonna run. And so what does he do? He burns the ships to the ground because he says, if we are going to fulfill our mission, I have to remove the opportunity for escape and retreat. And so listen, we are either gonna fulfill this mission or we are going to die trying. What would it look like for you to metaphorically burn some ships in your lives to make escape as impossible as possible? for you to say, man, I am either going to fulfill this commitment or I'm going to die trying. Here's one of the ways that you can help yourself do that is by committing publicly. What does that look like for you to commit it and make it public? Well, I know a guy who can get you a good deal on some billboards on I-40, all right? I'm kidding. Maybe for some of you it's sad. But seriously, what, what might that look like for some of us? Maybe for some of you, You have been living a faith that is just so under the radar. No one would know that you're really a Christian. What would it look like for you to publicly identify 
with Jesus Christ and say, I am a servant of the Lord. Maybe for you, you've never done that through baptism. Maybe for you, you need to sign up and you need to get baptized here next week and say, I love Jesus and I'm going to go wherever he asked me to go and do whatever he asked me to do. Maybe that means you invite your friends or give them the live stream so they can see, listen, I wanna show you what is the most important thing to me. That's making it public. Here's another way that you make it public is you sit down and you have a conversation with somebody that you want to see living. You want to see, they want, how am I gonna say this? You want them to see you living differently. There we go. Maybe that's you sitting down with your family or your neighbors or your boss or some friends. And oftentimes what goes along with this is an apology. It's like, guys, I need to apologize because I know I should have been living this way with you and I have not. What you've seen from me is not what God has called me to do and I need to apologize to you right now. But what I'm committing to you today is you are going to see something different in me from now on. That's making it public. Another way that we can burn the ships down metaphorically is by bringing accountability into our lives. So many of us are just trying to do this on our own, but what would it look like for you to intentionally bring someone into your life and say, listen, this is what I am committing to. I am giving you hunting license to call me out whenever you see me not living out this commitment in my life. I'm giving you permission to ask me questions and I'm going to answer as honestly as I can because I want to see this done in my life and I need your help. So you can make it public, you can make it accountable. Another thing that you can do is you can make it bigger than yourself. I love this, we see Joshua do it. He's saying, I don't want this just for me, but I want to do this for all the other people around me as well. And we see this in verse 15, he says at the end, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Man, that ups the game, doesn't it? Because your spiritual commitment to the Lord should affect all other relationships in your life, should it not? That's the power of our relationship with the Lord. It should affect all of our other relationships. Hudson Taylor, a famous missionary, he said it this way, if your Christian experience hasn't affected your household, if your father and mother, your brother and sister, if the very cat and dog in your house are not better and happier for you being a Christian, it's a question whether you really are one. Man, by God's grace, may it never be said that those who God has placed in our life have ever questioned that we are really serving and following the Lord. But make your commitment bigger than yourself. Parents, here's what that means for you. You know what, there's a lot of ways that you can lead your family spiritually. You can read the Bible with them, you can pray with them, you can invite questions that they have, you can prioritize the local church you know, as your family, but none of those things will ever hold a candle to your kids seeing you repenting boldly and committing to following the Lord boldly every day of your life. That makes an impact. That is how we do that. And that should be the same for all of us, for everyone. Your cousin, your classmate, your coworker, your close friend, your cat should see you living out your life for Jesus Christ. That's what boldness looks like, is inviting everybody else into that. Because here's what happens. Our bold commitments for Jesus help other people make bold commitments for Jesus. Look with me here in verse 16, it says this. The people responded, answering to Joshua, and they said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord who brought us out 
or brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery? And who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the ways that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed? And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. You wanna know something beautiful? Commitment is contagious. Do you believe that? Your commitment is contagious. And so do you want to see other people in your life making radical choices for Jesus Christ? Well, they need to see it first from you. And here's what's true. True and lasting significance from, comes from us making bold commitments to God and bringing as many people as we can along with us. And so do you want to keep your faith and pass on your faith? You need to remember and share your story and you need to learn to repent boldly and commit boldly. But here's the last thing you need to be able to do as well. And this is the most important. So listen to this. If you want to keep your faith and pass on your faith, you are going to need to run to God for grace over and over and over and over. Because we see here, God's people got fired up, didn't they? They see their faithfulness of God and their story. They're ready to turn from their idols. They're ready to commit. They're doing it publicly. This is who we are and where we're gonna be. But listen to how Joshua responds to that. In verse 19, it says, but Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. I don't know about you, but I'm sure everybody that was there was like, man, Joshua's a buzzkill. Jeez. But here's why he said that. Because a generation earlier, he saw Moses giving this same charge to people. And they said the exact same thing. And you know what happened days later? They were bowing down to a golden calf. We're the same way. What Joshua's trying to communicate is a couple things. Man, Joshua's trying to curb our overconfidence. Because for many of us, we can hear a challenge like this and we're like, let's go. But what inevitably happens, what inevitably happens? We fall and fail every time. And what happens when we do that? Man, we're, we're prone to just give up. That's where some of you are at today. It's like, I've heard this a thousand times. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I fall and fail. I can't do this. Another thing Joshua's trying to point out is, yes, you're powerless. Because some of us are trying to do this, but we're also trying to do it in our own power. That's what religion is, is we're trying to do all these things by our own strength, and what does that lead to? We will always fall and fail. But listen, every time you and I fall and fail and see our powerlessness, it's meant to point us to something. You'll see it right here. In verse 25, it says, so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statues and laws for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law and he took a large stone and set it up under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. And therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. And so what Joshua gives his people is a stone and a word. It's a word that testifies against them for all the ways that they fall and fail. But you know what's true for us as a church? We also have a stone. He's the cornerstone on which the church is built. And we have the word of God, Jesus Christ. Instead of coming to us and speaking against us, what he does is he speaks for us. 
You know what you find when you run to the stone and to the word? What you find there is grace upon grace upon grace. When you open up your word, that's why you find words like this in Ephesians 2. It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We see this word in Romans 6 that says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are no longer under the law, but you are under grace. Because when we run to Jesus Christ, you will always find the grace that you need for whenever you fall and fail. And it's not just a grace that covers our past sins, but it's a grace that covers the sins today. When we fail to repent like we should repent, when we fail to commit and live out our commitments like we do today, and you know what? It's always going to be there for you. All you have to do is run back and you will experience his saving grace in your life. And not only do you experience saving grace, you see another type of grace. Like we see in 2 Corinthians 12, it says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore I will all the more boldly, <laughs> will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Or how about this in 1 Corinthians 15 that says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Because we don't find saving grace just alone. We also find the grace that empowers us, the power that we don't have in ourselves because we are powerless, we find in Jesus Christ. It's the grace and his Holy Spirit that allows us to actually say no to our idols and turn from them to God. It's that same power that allows us to be able to make these bold commitments and see ourselves follow through on those things because of the grace that is alive within us. And so church, how do we keep our faith and pass on our faith? We need to run to God daily because it's in his presence that we find the freedom and forgiveness for whenever we fall and fail. It's where we find the grace that empowers us to do all of these things that he has called us to. And listen, if we can do these things, here's what we can hope to see. In verse 29, it says, after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. He died as a servant of the Lord. In verse 31, it says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the works that the Lord had did, done for Israel. You guys, he kept the faith and he passed on the faith. Do you want this to be your legacy? Do you want to be able to say at the end of your days, I kept the faith, I finished well. Do you want to be able to at the end of your days look around you and see the people who were far from God but are close to you now following and living their lives for Jesus. It is possible by God's grace. If you would, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want each person here to truly consider what is God calling you to commit to today? What is the word that he had for you here today that you need to take your next step in and truly commit to? Maybe for you, that's saying, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. 
I may not have been doing it the way that I needed to, but I, from this day on, I am going to commit to this. Maybe for some of you, it's committing to boldly repenting. Maybe you've only done the work of identifying those things in your life, but you are going to take the next step and say, I am going to repent of this. I'm gonna put it out of my life. I'm gonna behead it. I'm gonna whatever it looks like, Lord, because I wanna serve you. For those others of you, you're committing to keeping the faith. You're gonna make it to the end. You are going to end well. Maybe you're at the last quarter of your life and you're saying, what do I need to do to make sure that happens by God's grace? For others of you, you're, you're gonna make the commitment to pass on the faith, to share the story about what God has done in your life. Whatever it is that you're committing to today, I'm gonna ask you this, what do you need to do today or this week by God's grace to move towards that? Father, we come before you and we admit we cannot do this in our own power, but we know that we serve a God who can empower to empower us to do all these things and more through Christ Jesus, whose grace gives us strength. And so help us to run to him for that power. When we inevitably fall and fail, would you help us to run to you and get that grace that we need? God, we know at the end of the day, for those of us who are in Christ, we know how our story ends. Jesus wins and our whole lives will be redeemed. That's our story. At the end of the day, we know that all of our battles against our idols will ultimately be won on our behalf by Jesus Christ. And one day, all of those idols will fall flat on their face in worship of the one true God. At the end of the day, we know that even as we fall and fail, we have a victorious savior who is future grace for us today to keep fighting these battles. And so we pray, Lord, that you would do all those things or more in this life, in our lives, in this church, Lord, and that you would get the glory. In Jesus' name we pray.